Amen. So one of many reasons why I love the Bible is because it has to do with real events that happen in history. Real events that happen in the past, history past, in the present, in the future. Real events that are going on. You'll read about that all through the Bible. And the Bible teaches that history, if you can pardon a little play on words here, history is really his story. You've probably heard that before. If not, take note of that. History is his story, God's story. Because everything that happens in history is part of God's purpose and plan. Nothing is random. Nothing is meaningless. Everything is under God's control, part of God's purpose and plan. And the reason I mention that is that we're right in the middle of Luke chapter 21, where Jesus talks about events that are coming to his people, what's taking place. He's talking about what's going to happen in the disciples' immediate future and what's going to happen in the more distant future, Luke chapter 21. And he does this to encourage them and to encourage us. So let's review what we've seen so far in this chapter. In Luke 21, verses 5 through 19, here's what Jesus has told them would happen in their immediate future. He said there would be false messiahs, and they must be careful not to be misled by them. He said there would be wars and earthquakes and famines and diseases, but that they should not be terrified when these things happen. He said that they would be arrested, imprisoned, questioned, because they're going to be preaching the gospel, but that they should not worry because God would give them exactly what he wanted them to say as they were being questioned. He said that some of them would be killed for their faith. But he said, not a hair of their heads would perish. Because death is not the end. Death transfers us into eternal life. Powerful. And then he said that they would see Jerusalem and the temple destroyed. That's what we saw last week, Luke 21, verses 5 through 19. Now, let me show you a picture of the passage we're going to be covering this week. The next passage, Luke 21, verses 20 through 28. I see three parts in Jesus' flow of thought here. First, in verses 20 to 24, Jesus says that a preview of God's wrath against sin will be taking place in the year A.D. 70, A.D. 70, when Jerusalem is destroyed. That's God giving us a preview of the wrath he's going to pour out upon the world at the end of times. It's a preview of his wrath. Then second, in verses 25 through 27, Jesus describes God's final outpouring of wrath, which happens when Jesus returns at the end of history. And then third, in verse 28, Jesus says that when, when he returns, all who are trusting Christ will rejoice in their full redemption. So that's where we're going. Powerful passage here of Jesus' teaching. So let's start with that first section, verses 20 through 24. Let's ask, what does Jesus tell his disciples about Jerusalem's destruction? That's the topic of verses 20 through 24. 
First of all, like we saw last week, Jesus says that Jerusalem's destruction will happen in their lifetimes. Remember, Jesus is talking with his disciples here. Matthew's listening to him. Mary's listening to him. Thomas is listening to him. Miriam is listening to him. His disciples are right there listening to him. And look at what he says to them in verse 20. But when you, Matthew, right, Mary, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Now you study this on your own, but the most natural way this seems to read to me is that his disciples are going to see this taking place. With their own eyes, they're going to see Jerusalem destroyed, surrounded by armies. And when that happens, they're to understand its destruction is here. And this did happen in the year A.D. 70, as we'll be talking more about in a moment. So the second thing he tells them is that when they see this, they should flee the city. Verse 21. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. This is a shocking thing for Jesus to say. Imagine that you see Roman soldiers start to surround your city. Your first thought would be, get out of the city. I mean, not get, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. Your first thought would be, get into the city, right? Close the doors, hide behind these thick walls, right? Roman soldiers are outside. We need protection. That would be your first thought, but that's not what Jesus tells them to do because Jesus knows it's going to happen. I think he knows that when they do leave the city, either the Roman soldiers won't be there or they will let them go by. He knows that the Roman soldiers are going to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem, not let any food in, and that horrifying starvation is going to take place. And he knows that the Roman soldiers are then going to break down the thick walls of Jerusalem, come in, and that they will slaughter thousands and take many, many captives as slaves to the nations. He knows that's what's going to happen. But because Jesus' followers paid heed to what he said and left the city, they were spared. Jesus' followers were spared this horrifying destruction. So second, they should flee the city. Third, Jesus says that this is God's judgment against Jerusalem. Verse 22, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. This isn't just Rome being bloodthirsty. This is God fulfilling his warnings against Jerusalem. Throughout the years in the Old Testament, God warned the people of Israel that unless you turn from your idols, unless you turn from your sin, Unless you turn back from me, I will judge this beautiful city and this amazing temple. I will destroy it unless you turn from your sin. And that's what God did. Tragically, Israel did not turn from her sin. And so in the year 586 B.C., God had Babylon conquer Jerusalem and destroy the temple. And then, as you know, 70 years later, People returned and the temple was rebuilt. The city walls were rebuilt. But Jesus here tells us that the temple, the city, would be destroyed again 
which happened in A.D. 70. Look at how Jesus puts it two chapters earlier. Look at Luke 19, 41 to 44. This helps us see what's going on here in A.D. 70. And when he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Just, just pause there for a moment. When we hear about Jerusalem being destroyed, when we hear about the temple being destroyed, this should make us weep. This is heartbreaking. We want to have Jesus' heart. Jesus wept at the prospect of what was going to come to Jerusalem. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. I wish you would have owned up to what's going to bring you peace between you and God. I wish you would have known that. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Can you see our Savior saying that through his weeping See, even after all of Jesus' miracles, healing the sick, freeing people from demons, his life-giving teaching, his death on the cross to pay for sin, his resurrection from the dead, even after all that, Israel, for the most part, would not own up to the truth of who Jesus was. They refused to see that God had visited them in Jesus. He was the Messiah, and so God once again destroyed Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And so A.D. 70 fulfilled what God had already warned in the Old Testament and fulfilled what Jesus had warned in Luke 19. Fourth, this is going to be hard for pregnant and nursing women. This is hard to read, if you picture it. Understand that these pregnant and nursing women have refused to trust Christ any pregnant nursing women who would have paid heed to Jesus' words and left the city, maybe with some help, would have been spared. These are wicked women, but still they're pregnant and they're nursing, and even they experienced God's judgment because of their unbelief. As Jesus says in verse 23, look at what he says, Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Now let me pause there. That word earth there can be puzzling. I don't think it's the best translation, and, and I'm, I'm no expert, but that Greek word earth can also just as easily be translated land, L-A-N-D, land. And three solid uh, translations translate it that way. The New American Standard translates it land, Christian Standard Bible, land, and the NIV translates it land. Um, so what Jesus is talking about here is not the whole world. That comes in the next section, the next arc, okay? He's still here talking just about the land of Jerusalem. That's where this great distress is going to be. And that's confirmed by the phrase, this people, at the end of that verse. He's just talking about this people. Not all the peoples. That's the next section. He's talking about 
this people. God's wrath upon Jerusalem, the land right there, and the people of Israel. So to help his followers understand the reality of God's wrath, this is just a, a preview of it, what's going to happen at the end of the age. Jesus talks about how difficult this is going to be for pregnant and nursing women. Fifth, Jerusalem will be destroyed until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. It's an amazing statement, and it's being fulfilled. Verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, again, remember, this is a preview that God is giving us in history. 87, he gives us a snapshot of the reality of God's wrath against sin that will be poured out upon the whole world at the end of history. This is a preview here. And in AD 70, it was horrifying what happened. People of Israel fell by the edge of the sword. They were led captive among the nations. Jerusalem was trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, completely destroyed, and would be so until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So that raises a burning question. What is, what is this times of the Gentiles? What is that? I think at least part of the answer is found in Matthew 24, verse 14. Look at what Jesus says here. We're asking, what are the times of the Gentiles? And Jesus says here, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, that word nations there, same word as the word Gentiles. The exact same word can be translated either way. And that word means all the people groups, every nation, tongue, and tribe, every ethnic group, every skin color, every race, every language, all the peoples. So the times of the Gentiles is the time, I think, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, when the gospel is being preached to all the nations, men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And notice that Matthew 24, 14 tells us when the end will come. This is amazing. Did you catch that? When will Jesus return? It's when the gospel has been proclaimed to all the peoples, all the nations, all the ethne, all the people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. That's when Jesus is going to come back. That's what he's saying here. Now, just, just a side note. I want you to I hope you'll, you'll feel how this should make us feel at this point. Every follower of Jesus wants Jesus to return. We've been born again. We have new hearts. We long for the second coming of Christ when there will be no more disease, no more war, no more bloodshed, no more injustice. And best of all, we will be in the very presence of our Savior and His Father. That's what we're going to experience. So every follower of Jesus longs to have him return. And here Jesus tells us why he has not returned yet. Did you catch that? It's because the gospel hasn't been taken to all the nations yet. That's why. Which means that what our lives should be all about 
during this time between the first and second comings of Christ is sharing the gospel with every nation, tongue, and tribe. That's what we're here for during this time, the times of the Gentiles. See if this helps. Let's say that a father tells his child, when you finish your homework, then we'll get ice cream. Feel the power of that, okay? When you finish your homework, then we'll get ice cream. Now, if you're a child, you like ice cream, so what are you going to do? Finish your homework, right? It's very simple. And Jesus says, when the gospel has been preached to all the nations, then I will come back. When the gospel has been preached to all the peoples, then I will come back. And the way that it works in us is, Lord, I long for you to come back. I want to do my part in preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel with the peoples. That's what's going on here. The times of the Gentiles. Let me give you one other scripture. In case this is a new thought for you, let me give you one other scripture to kind of support it. Romans 11.25. Let's look at what Paul says. Romans 11.25. He says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. A partial hardening has come upon Israel, which means many Israelites, many Jewish people are not receptive to the gospel. That's only a partial hardening. We should keep preaching the gospel to Jewish people, right? If you're a Jewish person here and you're not yet trusting Christ, we are so glad you're here. But it's a partial hardening that has come until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. That is, until all the Gentiles whom God is going to save have been saved. Until all the Gentiles whom God is going to save has been saved. And then Israel will be saved. That is, the, the nation at the time on earth, at that time, right before Christ comes, we're going to be saved. That's the time of the Gentiles. And so God is calling us to take the gospel to the nations, to the peoples, every people group. We won't be sure when that's finished. Well, we'll, we'll, be, we'll know when it's finished because he'll come back. We can't really measure that exactly, but we know it, what hasn't happened yet, right? And so we're all doing our part. And let me just tell you, we are surrounded here by people who've never heard the gospel. You may have thought you came here just because of your job. Praise God for your job. But this is one of the most unreached places in the world. There's the people that surround us here. You can go into a Starbucks and talk to people who've never heard the gospel, ever. It's amazing. What a privilege to be here. So you're here for your job, yes, but there's an even more important reason why you're here. Spiritually strategic place. So we want to be doing all we can to share the gospel and to be sharing the gospel with unreached people and to be sending people to share the gospel with the unreached peoples because when that is finally accomplished, then Christ will return. We're in the times of the Gentiles right now. Hope that makes sense. Now, with all that in mind, let's go back to Luke 21, 24. Let's read that verse again. I hope it'll help you understand what Jesus is saying. Luke 21, 24. They will fall by the edge of the sword 
and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And that's exactly what has happened. In AD 70, Jerusalem was trampled underfoot, completely destroyed, along with the temple. And this brought about a massive change in Judaism. Remember all the animal sacrifices that were being offered through the Old Testament? Now, those sacrifices didn't forgive anybody's sins, but they pictured how people's sins would be forgiven. They pointed ahead to the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? Every animal sacrifice was a picture of, just like Josh prayed earlier, Jesus, the blameless, spotless Lamb of God who takes our guilt upon himself. The, everyone who puts their trust in Christ, all their guilt, past, present, and future, is put upon Jesus and punished on the cross. That's what the animal sacrifices pictured. So think of all those animal sacrifices, day after day, week after week, year after year. That's what was happening in the temple all the time. Thousands and thousands and thousands of animal sacrifices. That was Judaism until AD 70. Because the Lamb of God himself has come. We don't need pictures pointing to what God's going to do because the reality's here. It's like if my wife Jan had been gone for a few months, I'd be, I'd be looking at pictures, looking at pictures of her, right? Looking at pictures, pictures, that picture. Oh, there's that picture. Okay, but when she gets home, I'm putting the pictures away, right? She's home. She's here. It's time to put the pictures away. Israel, understand the Lamb is here. And Jesus showed that to Israel and to the whole world by having Jerusalem and the temple destroyed and the animal sacrifices stop at that point. That's what God did. And the temple has never been rebuilt. And the sacrifices have never started back up. Massive change took place in Judaism in A.D. 70. Let me just show you a picture of the, the temple, what it looked like before it was destroyed. Remember we saw this last week? So that's what it was before it was destroyed. That tall building right in the center there, 18 stories tall. That's the temple, all right? And then down the bottom right, there's a little entrance right there. Keep that in mind. That's before A.D. 70, what the temple looked like. If you go today, it has all been flattened. Except now where the temple used to be, is the Dome of the Rock, which is an Islamic shrine right there. And at the very entrance, there's a mosque. And that's it. That's what's there at the temple site. So since AD 70, the temple has never been rebuilt. It will continue to be trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, I thought it'd be helpful to give you a little timeline. This is my, my best attempt that, I know it's kind of a little complicated, but I kind of like it. I think it came out pretty good, okay? See if this helps. Put, put together what we've seen from Luke 21. Far left, Jesus comes to the earth, right? He lives, dies, rises, ascends, 0 to 33 A.D., roughly. Then to the right, the book of Acts, from the year 33 to maybe about 65 A.D., when the gospel spreads through Judea and Samaria and throughout the Mediterranean basin. Then at the top center, that long, wide bar there, Jesus told us, told the disciples, before he comes back, there would be false messiahs, 
persecution, wars, famine, pestilence, that is diseases, and evangelism. That's what's happening during that time period. Then at the bottom center, Jerusalem is destroyed, the year A.D. 70. Continue to be trodden underfoot until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So next right, we are now living in the times of the Gentiles. That may have started earlier. I didn't know how to do that, but anyway, close enough. Um, We're now in the times of the Gentiles when God's people are sharing the good news with all the nations, Israel and every nation, tongue, and tribe. We are spreading the gospel, reaching unreached people groups, neighbors who've never heard the gospel, sharing the good news. That's our call now. And then when the gospel is finally preached to all the peoples, Christ will return. So there's, there's a timeline that, that kind of helps me put this all together. Okay, now we've just seen a preview then. This is a preview of the wrath of God against sin that will be poured out upon the whole world when Jesus comes back. So let's ask the question then, what will happen when Christ returns? We've just seen a preview. Now, what's the rest of it going to be? Start with verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations, notice nations in plural, in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. One of the reasons I think verse 25 moves ahead to the distant future, the second coming of Christ, is because the language shifts from a nation to the nations and from a land, an area, a temple to the globe. Big change between verses 24 and 25 and following. Notice here it's nations, plural, not just one nation, Israel, but the the nations, all the peoples on the earth are going to be feeling perplexity and distress because of these signs of sun and moon and stars, and the roaring of the sea and waves. I'm not sure what that means, but, I mean, the God who holds the whole universe in perfect order now, right? Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. He could change that, and all of a sudden the sun starts to shake in the sky. I mean, wouldn't that freak you out, right? Or stars crashing into the moon, and and, and we're not just talking about like, like a little bit of a high tide here. We're talking about things happening with the waves in the ocean that are going to make people frightened. Like, what is going on? Unprecedented. And it's, it's the wrath of God starting to be poured out upon the earth. That's what it is. Verse 26. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. Talking about the world here, not just Israel. This is the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So people are going to be so afraid of what they are seeing around them with the wrath of God being poured out upon the globe that they're going to be overcome. They're going to collapse. Maybe that means they're going to pass out, become unconscious. I'm not sure exactly what it means, but it's going to be very, very terrifying absolutely terrifying for people. But look what else they're going to see in verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man. That's the phrase that Jesus uses to describe himself. It's from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Then they will see the Son of Man, Jesus, coming 
in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, for those who are not trusting Jesus, this will not be good news for them. This will not be good news because their sins have not been paid for on the cross. The guilt for their sins are still upon themselves. Right? Because you are trusting Christ, all your guilt was put upon Jesus on the cross and punished on the cross. And Jesus said, it is finished. But for those who are not trusting Christ, their guilt is all on them, and they're going to be there like naked before God and Jesus the Son, guilty. So it's not going to be a happy time for them. When they see Jesus, they will be absolutely terrified. The book of Revelation talks about the, the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. Speaking of Jesus. Now, understand, no one is more gentle or kind or compassionate than Jesus is. No one. But listen, friend, you do not want to face the wrath of the Lamb. You do not want to face the wrath of the Lamb. And seeing Jesus is going to terrify them because they're going to know what they're going to face, eternity in hell, and it's coming. He's back. They'll know. So this is a preview. I mean, the, the preview was given of, of this. AD 70 gives us just a, one frightening glimpse, and now Jesus is saying, now here's the full outpouring of this. And I want to encourage you, if, if you are not trusting Christ, please pay heed to this. The day is going to come when Jesus will return and God's wrath is going to be poured out upon this world. 2 Peter 3 talks about it being burned up, all of its works burned up. Now, no one comes to faith just because they fear wrath. We need to be clear. But the reality of God's wrath at the end of history can wake us up to see who Jesus really is. The Savior sent by God to pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. So the reality of wrath can just like wake us up. What am I thinking? Jesus, look at who he is. And so I, I pray that that's what will happen in your hearts right now, if you're not yet trusting Jesus. This will happen. It happened in A.D. 70, and as sure as it happened in A.D. 70, it will happen at the end of history, and you will be there. Whether you have already died or whether you are alive at that moment, he'll be there. He'll be there. And trust Christ. Look at his love. He came and died on the cross perfectly sinless, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, with an astonishing display of compassion and costly, costly mercy. And he went to the cross to pay for the sins of all who will trust him. And you can leave here tonight forgiven, forgiven, reconciled to God, redeemed. May it be. Okay, but now what about those of us who are trusting Jesus? What's this going to mean for us? 
Let's end on some good news here, okay? Good news. What will happen? Verse 28, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Powerful picture here. The world is cringing with fear. They're terrified. They're like, ah! But he says, when you see Jesus come back, straighten up. Lift up your head. Your redemption. Jesus is here. That's what's described. Full of joy. Let me give you a picture of the whole passage again, just to remind you of where we've come. Here's what's going on. First of all, verses 20 to 24, we've seen a preview of God's wrath against sin in A.D. 70. Verses 25 to 27, then jump ahead to God's final outpouring of wrath against sin, against the world, when Christ returns. And then verse 28, when Christ returns, all who trust him will rejoice in their full redemption. So listen, none of God's wrath will touch you who are trusting Christ. None. The world will be terrified at what's going on. But you can stand up, lift up your head. This is redemption. And you'll be completely protected from all the wrath that's being poured out because all of God's wrath against your sin was already poured out upon Jesus. Like Josh prayed, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath against your sin down to the very last drop. No more wrath. It was all poured out upon Jesus, our Savior. And so you can lift up your head and be full of joy when you see Jesus. Now you might say, well, now wait a minute. I thought we already were redeemed. Aren't we already redeemed? Why does this verse say that our redemption is coming near? It's because we have been redeemed. Jesus paid the price, the guilt of sin you are completely freed from, but we've not received the full experience of our redemption yet. What we have now is wonderful beyond words, but it's not all there is. There's more coming. In this life now, we have had tastes of the, the bread of life, of Jesus, the bread of life. Right? We've had tastes of Jesus and his glory and his love and his mercy. But when Christ comes back, the banquet will start. Not just tastes, the banquet. We're now living in a world under God's curse. There's cancer, there's tsunamis. This world is under God's curse. But then we will enter into the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Full redemption is coming. Now we see through a mirror dimly. Dim. But listen. Seeing Jesus through a mirror dimly is far more satisfying than anything the world can offer you, right? You've seen. You know what we're talking about. Even seeing Jesus through a mirror dimly is far better than anything the world offers, but when he comes back, we will no longer see through a mirror. We'll be seeing him face to face. You will see your Savior face to face. Not like there he is off in the distance, but He'll be right. I don't know how it's going to work, but you and him, you're going to see your Savior face to face. I think I'll be like Thomas, falling at his feet, saying, my Lord and my God, right? Amazing. Now we live by faith. We don't see. We live by faith. That can be hard, right? We've all struggled with that this last week. But when Christ comes back, we will live by sight. We will see beautiful. Now we have sorrows and trials, 
heartbreak. Some of you going through heartbreaking times, suffering, sorrows, trials. But then trials will be no more. Every tear wiped from your eyes. No more heartbreak. Just complete peace and overflowing and ever-increasing joy in Christ forever, forever, full redemption. Now we battle sin, right? Oh, and that can be hard. It is not easy to fight sin. Sin pulls and sin deceives and sin overwhelms and the battle is weary sometimes and we fail and oh, it's hard. Now we're battling sin. Then the battle will be over. Complete holiness, freedom from sin will be yours. No more fighting. You're home. That's what it'll mean. That's what it'll be. Earlier, I, I just, as we were worshiping, I just had this sense that maybe there's some of you here who are you're really kind of coasting spiritually. It's coasting. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you're coasting. You're not putting a lot of effort in. And I feel like the Lord wanted to, wants to wake you up to that and to say, Jesus is coming back. Stop coasting. You will not be thrilled that you coasted when Jesus comes back. You'll be so glad that you were running. Running. Are you running? Or are you coasting? So Grace Church, Jesus is coming back. That day is absolutely certain. Nothing can change it. It is set. So, Weary saints, battling saints, coasting saints, discouraged saints, trust Jesus. Fight sin. Run for the prize. Love each other and share the good news. Share the good news because Jesus is coming. Let's pray. Why don't you stand? Lord, I plead with you, please, Father, would you touch the hearts of those here this afternoon who are not yet trusting Christ? We love them. We're so glad they're here. Please, please, Lord, in your mercy, let them own up to the reality of Jesus, the reality of salvation, that they desperately need a Savior. They cannot save themselves, and Jesus is the Savior. Please, Lord, save people in this room right now. People who are coasting, Lord, wake them up. Stop snoozing. Start running for the prize those who are weary, those who are discouraged, those who are suffering, those who are heartbroken, oh Lord. Earth has no sorrows that Jesus can't heal. We know that that's true. Help them see that and feel that now.
And we say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.